Welcome to Fitness in the World with Benjamin Kasanji. Eternal life does not just mean life that does not end. Praise the Lord. Because those that will be in hell will never die. But they don't have eternal life. Hallelujah. Yeah. Eternal life is the life of God. It is a fellowship with God. 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, meaning eternal life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He is writing to believers and is telling them, I have written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. It is possible for you to be a believer and not know that you have eternal life. You may know that you have eternal life mentally, intellectually, but not experiencing it. And that is why John is writing to them. These are believers. This is the church. But they are not experiencing the eternal life. And many people today in our churches, all over this nation, beyond this nation, in the world, are not experiencing eternal life, yet they are believers. They have it already, but they are not experiencing it. Now, John wrote these things that they might know that they have it, and they should experience it. It is the same reason why I'm teaching this, so that we all know that we have this life and we walk in it. There is dominion that comes with you understanding that you have this life. There is victory that you live in when you understand that you have eternal life. Song of Songs, chapter 2, from verse 13. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is calmly. And as explaining to us, when the Bible tells us in John chapter 17, verse 3, when he says that this is eternal life, that they might know you as the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent, yeah? This knowledge of God is experiential knowledge. It is fellowship with him that they may have fellowship with you, that they may have koinonia with you. Praise the Lord. The, 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 the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, which is partnership, working together. That is eternal life. Eternal life is not you just saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life, see you when I get to heaven. That is not eternal life. There is a lot that we are missing. Eternal life is not even just coming to church every Sunday. Eternal life is not just reading the Bible. Eternal life is not just keeping a certain set of rules, having uh, certain norms that you follow. That is, that is way below eternal life. Now, eternal life will have its own norms. Eternal life will have its own system, the way you operate in eternal life. But all these things never give you eternal life. Eternal life is us knowing that when we received him as our Lord and Savior, he came. It is like a marriage. And that is why when Paul is talking about marriage in Ephesians, and even Jesus talking about Marriage in Matthew 
He says this he spoke signifying the church and Christ, the church and the bride. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and that we shall become one. He spoke this concerning, he was speaking about the church. Now, in a marriage, you, you don't get into, it is not a religion. A marriage is, an, is, is a relationship. I am married and I have my wife. I don't just recite about her. I don't just wake up every day and I'm like, I believe she's there. I believe she loves me. I, no, I talk to her, she's there. So if he's talking about, if, if he's comparing, contrasting marriage with the relationship that we have with Christ, then it is not just about, because you see, we miss God, yet we are speaking about him. We are, we, we are doing all these things. God is more real than a wife or a husband. If you can experience your wife or your husband, you can talk to them. You have fellowship with them. Then you can have a better one with God because he's so real. And that is what he's called us to. That is eternal life. It is the life of God, that God kind of life that he's called us to. So when he's speaking here, we talked about this last week, uh, how he's when he called us, when we, we got born again, right from, we saw this in Exodus 30, that he brought them. He said, I'll send my angel, and my angel shall bring you into a place. He shall bring you out of Egypt and bring you in a place. Many believers live like they were not brought into a place. Eternal life is a place. Eternal life is where we were brought. So many times we live like we were just brought out of. Same mentality that the children of Israel had while they were in Egypt. They had a mentality of, we came out of Egypt, and that was all. And as long as they, they just knew that they came out of Egypt, it was possible to go back to Egypt. Because they kept admiring the things they ate in Egypt. They kept admiring even the graves in Egypt. Well, there are no graves for us to be buried in, in Egypt. So many believers have only come out of the world. They've only come out of sin. They've only come out of being an unbeliever. And have gone nowhere. That is why it is easy to go back. Because we've not come into eternal life. Somebody can come out of prison free, but on the streets, nowhere to go. It is easy for that person to go back to prison because there was food in prison, there was shelter in prison, there was warmth in prison. It is very easy for him to commit crime again so that they go back to prison where things are better. But if somebody comes out of prison into their mansion, wherever it is, they're not going to be fighting never to go back to prison. Many Christians are fighting not to backslide because they've never walked into eternal life. They just came out of the other life, and they are fighting so hard not to go back. You see, if, if I come out of prison and I'm taken to my mansion with servants, with food, I'm not going to wake up every day trying not to go back to prison. No. I'm going to be so busy exploring my new life. I'm going to be so busy enjoying the pleasures at my disposal, busy enjoying what is here now. If as a Christian you walk into this life, into this eternal life that is called us to, you will be so busy enjoying the blessings, the promises, all these that have been given to us in this eternal life, you will not be thinking about, I don't want to backslide. I don't want to backslide. And you realize that many times people who talk so much about, I don't want to backslide, I don't want to go back to the world, they are the ones who keep going back to the world and coming back. And it is because of that. Because they live like they've never got into this place of eternal life. Eternal life is a place. So in this place, eternal life, yeah, we come and experience him. That's how we love encountering God. And we love it when God shows up here. We love it when his presence shows up. During, during the worship time, we were saying, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We love it when he comes. But you know, because this is mutual. Me, I can go to my wife where she is. 
she doesn't always have to be the one to come to me. This would not be a relationship if it is only, if God only comes to you, if you can't go to him. I and my father shall come and make our home with you. But that's, that's where I wanted the emphasis to be. It's not, I'll come and make my abode in you. He said, with you. Yeah, so we are building a home together with him. The home we want. He's asking me, where do you want the mirror to be? I'm like, this is where I want the mirror to be. Okay, what shall we do for this balcony? Let's put there these seats. He said, I'll come and make my home with you. Praise the Lord. Man, with us. He's really, he came to us. We carry him 24-7. Eternal life is the life we live every day. Knowing him. That is complete. That is enough. Knowing him every day. In Song of Songs, this is what I was trying to show us. That we can get to that place. And many times he will invite us into that place where we experience him. And many times he will invite us to that place so that what we experience in that place, we carry in our everyday today life. That is why it does not happen that every day you have some of these encounters. And that is why we remember them by dates. That's why I was telling you mine. I never forget. I've never written it anywhere, but I know it was May 28, 2015. I can't forget that. Many times he, he, we have these experiences so that every day of our lives, we live with that awareness. Paul encountered him on the way to Damascus. Paul talked about it everywhere. Before Agrippa, I was on the way to Damascus. And there he appeared to me. He talked about it all the time. And he lived knowing this one is a reality. This one that I'm talking about is a reality. That is why John says, the one we've touched, we've had, we've experienced is the one we speak to you. Peter says, we did not believe cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power of this Christ, the power of his resurrection. We didn't believe cunningly devised fables. These are not stories. I don't preach the gospel because I grew up in church. I don't preach the gospel because my dad was a pastor. I don't preach the gospel because I went to Bible school. No, it is real. It is real. When the Welsh revival happened, one person came from the revival and went and preached the gospel in India. And when he preached to these native people, one guy believed the gospel. And the chief called him. And the chief, the chief threatened him, told him, you can't believe this Jesus. It's a foreign religion for white people and all that. You can't believe this. And he killed his son. And when he killed his son, this guy said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Killed another child. He said, I'm not turning back. He killed his, they killed his wife. He says, though none goes with me, I still will follow. And he was killed. And the entire village came to Christ. That man didn't die just because somebody told him as someone. That man had encountered him. That man knew eternal life. You see, when Paul says that to me to die is gain. You see, if you have eternal life and you know it, Death, physical death can't bring it to an end. That is what that man was talking about. He had encountered him. He had known him. Nothing would separate him. He knew that nothing would separate him from, from this. And that is what God has called us to. So this is what he's talking in, in, song, in song of Songs. He's saying, the fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape 
give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, come away. That is God stealing you away. Praise the Lord. Saying, come away. Come to this place. Come to this intimate place. Come away from the church norms. But there are many things that we think are God, yet they are not God. The truth is that we can praise, jump, sweat, talk about our vocals and what, and we didn't come away. But you see, with all these church things that we get busy in, we can miss him. That is why David says, I long to appear before you. I want to appear before you. David wants to appear before him. Not go to just appear before David. David wants to appear before God. Huh? Psalm 42. In 63, it says, My soul and my flesh long after you. I experienced you in the congregation when everyone was there. But I want my own one-on-one. -on -one. That is what David was saying. I want to come. I want to see thy power. I was in that corporate worship where everyone was. Everyone was jumping. Everyone was singing things they don't mean. The more you experience eternal life, you realize that whatever you sing is what makes sense to you. Not every gospel song carries eternal life. No matter how many times the word Jesus is in the lyrics. And the truth is that there are levels in Christianity. We grow. There is a song that may have worked for you at a certain time. You cried. Mucus flowed from your nose. And you see, it was a powerful song. But you see, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I acted as a child. Eventually, when you start realizing, you start getting to know the eternal life, you realize, what were we singing? But at that time, it was so powerful. And then you realize, what was that that we sang? Because you've now grown. It is just like even in school. There are many things we did in science in primary. Then as you continue studying primary, I mean, you continue studying science, you realize these things were actually not true. You're going to studying science more and more, you realize, actually, it is not that. Where does the sun rise from? The east, and it sets in the west. You see, you study man, you realize, actually, it doesn't rise. It doesn't set. But you see, at that time, that was a truth, and you believed it. You ran home with your report card and showed how you passed. There is what we call true truths. Peter talks about present-day truth. And that's why you see when Jesus came during his time, he said, isn't it written in the law like this? Then he says, but I tell you, he brought a higher truth. It's not that the other one was a lie, but it can't stand the new truth that has come. So you see, when you got born again, maybe there are songs you sang of begging and what, and it worked. You begged and begged and begged and you came with a testimony. Last week we begged God and we begged and see what he has done. But you see, as you grow, you realize that now with eternal life, everything is at my disposal. Now, this is not a time for begging anymore. You see, you start realizing that. And your songs change. The things you say change because it is real. This is a life that you're experiencing. It is until our creeds become our deed that they will carry power. But you see, we can recite them and recite them and recite them, even when we have to move on from them. Look at this. Let me show you another truer truth. David is given the armor by Saul. What does David say? I've not tested it. I've not proven it. I killed a bear. I killed a lion. And he gets his sling and five stones. And he goes and he wins a battle. We never see David use the sling and stone again. He had his armor. And he had an armor bear. There's a, a stage where the sling could work. That was a truth at that level. 
a time came where he needed the armor as a king. Praise Jesus. So, you know, you can go on and say, oh, but it worked for us. But you see, we used to sing that song in high school and we used to cry. I'm telling you, that song brought the glory of God. You see, when you're getting out of your CU fellowship, like that song, after everyone was crying. But now you start realizing that he said, I will make my home with you. He's not passing me by in our home. As we've met, <laughs> he's not going anywhere. And he said, I shall dwell. He will dwell there. Why is he passing every time? Well, you, you see, in this high school, they are saying pass Mino. The other high school, they are saying pass Mino. The other, why is he passing all his children? But you see, it worked. He says, Moses carried a glory. Listen to this. He says that the glory Moses carried in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says it was powerful. It was glorious, but it was fading away. He had to cover. He had to be veiled. He had to veil his face. For a glory that was fading away carried so much power. Yeah? But the ministration of death, written, engraven in stones, was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. For the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away? It was to be done away with. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? This that Moses carried was glorious, but it was fading away. It was fading away, and he covered it. And many times, you see, the Bible tells us that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. In other words, that one has eternal life, whatever is born of God. It may be an idea. You see, in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, he talks about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Yeah? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he talks about the gospel of salvation. Two different gospels. The gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now, the gospel of the kingdom of God, this is the gospel of eternal life. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the life that he's given unto us. This is what he's given to us. What Moses had was fading away. He put a veil so that people don't see it. But he also put a veil. He also wanted to protect it. It's fading away. You know, you see this a lot, especially with gospel artists, preachers, many of us who work in church. He stole my sermon. He stole my sermon. It's not eternal. It fades away. You're fighting to, to, to protect it. Whatever is born of God does not fade away. So whatever we've acquired, by the law of Moses, whatever we've acquired by legalistic rituals and all that, it will fade away soon. If your testimony is, I prayed, I heard that my pastor had fasted for 30 days, so I fasted for 30 days. When I saw that God had not yet done it, I talked to another pastor. He may have said 21 days on water. I did 21 days on water. Then when I combined all these fastings, God gave me my car. I'm telling you, you're going to protect that car. It was birthed out of certain rituals, legalistic rituals. But there's something that can be birthed out of eternal life. Go back to Song of Songs. He's telling us, come away. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to spend time with us. And he wants to hear our voice. Yeah? Verse 14. Oh, my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, 
Let me see thy countenance. God wants to look at you. He wants to see your beauty. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice. Your countenance is nice. You look nice to me. Hallelujah. Let me, let, let's read it in the Amplified. So I went with him. We were climbing the rocky steps up the hillside. My beloved shepherd said to me, Oh, my dove. You see, shepherd, he would be saying, Oh, my sheep. But you see, he has language. He has good language. <laughs> While you are here, in the seclusion of the clefts in, this, in the solid rock, in the sheltered and secret place of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet, and your face is so lovely. There is a footnote there when he talks about the, the voice and the face. There is a footnote in the Amplified. If you have on your phone, you can see that style. If you click on it, he says to himself, you that is being talked to, yeah? Me that God is speaking. Do I realize that my voice lifted in praise and, and song is sweet to him? Or do I withhold it? I don't withhold it. It is sweet to him. No matter how many keys you sing in the same song, it is sweet to him. Praise the Lord. This is eternal life. Him hearing you and you hearing him. You knowing that you are loved. And what this does to us is that when we come and he speaks such words about us, when, 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 when we see how he sees us, when we hear how he perceives us, how we see ourselves changes. You can't be walking in eternal life and you continue living a life of low self-esteem. You can't be living the eternal life and you're walking in shame because you've heard the things he says about you. I have him like a possession. He is mine. Jesus is mine. He is mine. I don't know about you, but he's already mine. That he is mine. He belongs to me. Man, that changes my perspective. I have him. Imagine you hearing him say such things about you. How do you walk out of that place? No wonder Jesus, whenever Jesus went to the mountains to pray, he came back unto the Pharisees. He was arrogant. The son does nothing except what he sees the father do. No one has seen the father, <laughs> only me. No. You think I've spoken great things? Wait. You will see angels ascend and descend. As in, he's telling them, I'm with angels here right now. You are used to angels descending. They are going to ascend and descend. <laughs> Jesus spoke so differently. You, you, you see yourself in a very different way. It is the same thing you see with John after his encounters. I told you, John was thrown on the island of Patmos. And he's there still writing revelations. They've tried to boil him in tar or oil. And he's not died. He's thrown to an island just with animals and beasts. And his ego has not been touched at all. Just behold, he's so one on the throne. One, a man. You know, he's having all these experiences because he had encountered him. God is so real. And this is the fellowship that God seeks for. This is what he wants you to experience. He wants you to see yourself as he sees you. And it is a reality. You don't just have to see it because it is preached to you. You can experience it. If I make ice cream, I don't need to tell you so much of how it, it tastes. I can give you a new test. For how long shall we be told in church how he loves us, 
how he whispers gently to us, and he never whispers gently to us. We never feel his love. He's real. He's there. You can walk in for yourself. And you see, by the time you get to this place, you see, your mouth can't even open to start saying, you see, a man worthy. Many Christians, oh, Father, you know, we are not even worthy. Then why have you come? You see, we, we, we are not even worthy. We are sinners. We are filthy rags. You see, when you start living the eternal life, you start hearing how he calls you. And when you, when you hear your name, it is the name you take on. You don't believe any other name, no matter how loud it has been. No matter how many people have called you that name, you hear what he calls you. He says you're precious, you're special. Now that is what you hear, and you start going by that. So Peter, from today, I call you Peter. And from that day, Peter was Peter. He had a new name. Saul became Paul. Hallelujah. He's called us to this place. What does verse 15 say of Song of Songs? Take us, the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. Take us, the foxes. I want to address one of the foxes today. Just one fox like this that spoils the vine. We're here busy conversing. He's hearing my, my song in multi keys, and there are foxes disturbing. Yeah? What are these foxes? One of the greatest foxes is the sin issue. Many people have failed to experience eternal life because it has never been settled in their hearts that sin was dealt with once and for all. Praise the Lord. It is just like, you see, during courtship, if you're dating, you're in a relationship, during courtship is when you should open up, you should be transparent, talk about the ugly, the... Talk about everything, yeah? Talk about, you say, you see me that you see here. I, I was a night runner. You, you tell them. <laughs> that is the time to talk about everything. So if during courtship you've told them you're a night runner, now five years later you're married. You've gone, it's, you've gone for Valentine's <laughs> Yeah? <laughs> Valentine's Day. Yeah? Where have you gone? You've gone to a very posh place, a very nice place. Hmm? You're having your candlelit dinner. There's no one. It's quiet. And she starts telling you, oh, I love your goatee. I love that beard. Where did it come from? Now, you don't start telling her, I know you love it, but you know I, was, I used to be a night runner. <laughs> You've ruined that dinner. Now, now you see, that is what I'm talking about. He's telling you, I love to hear your voice. I love to look at you, your calmliness. Then you're like, I'm not even worthy. You've killed the dinner. You've spoiled the dinner. Ephesians 1.3. Let's read Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's read it and amplify it. May blessing, praise, laudation, and eulogy be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual given by the Holy Spirit, blessing in the heavenly realm. Praise the Lord. Now, why I'm reading this, I want to ask us a question. 
Is forgiveness a spiritual blessing? Yeah? Is righteousness a spiritual blessing? Now, Paul is saying that he's already given to us. Okay, let's read 2 Peter 1.3. Let's read it in the NIV. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. This is eternal life, that they might know him through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's saying that when we experience this eternal life, we realize that he's given to us everything he has already given. It is past tense. You can check your New Testament, especially in the light of the cross after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're going to realize that there is no promise that is not in past tense. Every blessing he talks about. Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. Peter comes and says in 1 Peter 2, 24, we were healed. He says, forgive. He says, you, if you do not forgive, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Paul comes and says, we should forgive even as we have been forgiven. You're going to realize everything is in past tense. So when he's saying that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Ephesians says us is given to us every spiritual blessing. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. These spiritual blessings include forgiveness. Praise the Lord. Go back to 2 Peter. Let's continue a little bit with 2 Peter. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. These promises have already been given. Praise the Lord. He, the, the, he, this does not mean, you see, many times when we say he's given us promises, we are meaning that. He's given us what to claim, as in he's given us a promise that will happen in the future. But he's saying these promises have, you see when you say he came and fulfilled his promise, it's no longer a promise. So whichever promises were there, he's already given. They are not waiting. The promises are not waiting. Yeah? So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. In other words, if you've not received them right now, you can't participate in the divine nature. You can't participate in this eternal life. As for us, we are saying, I can't be sick because by his stripes I was healed. You who is waiting for healing as a promise, you can't participate. You are not qualified. You don't have the boots. You stand watch us. You can't participate. If you're anticipating them, if you're thinking they're going to come in the future, you can't participate. You can't be a partaker in this divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He's already given us this. Praise the Lord. Man, this is so awesome. This should liberate you. Now, normally the confusion comes with 1 John 1, 9. Yeah? 1 John 1, 9, many people get stuck there. And say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I've told you there are different levels in Christianity. There are children, there are babies, there are youth. Let's see 1 John 2. 12 to 13. This is the category of people that John was also writing to. And I want you to see where the focus is. I write you little children, the little ones. See what he writes about the little ones. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. The little children have to be explained the sin issue to over and over. Now let's go on. I write you fathers, those are the adults, because ye have known him. This is eternal life. That is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, the youth, because you have overcome the wicked one. 
Now you see, when you're a child, you're still dealing, were my sins forgiven? So he's still dealing a lot with the sin issue. Then after you graduate from the sin issue, you know, I have power to cast out demons. I have power. The devil is under my feet. I was the youth. You get it? Sin is not the issue anymore. Then now adults, eternal life. We know the father. We don't just know him as daddy. We know him because we sit with him for coffee. We, we sit and plan. We sit and talk. We sit and talk with him. So these, these are the categories that he's writing to. And as long as you don't understand these levels, well, see, you're going to see the truth is that he's going to talk and say their spiritual growth is at different stages. Hallelujah. And now he, you see, the fathers would understand in 1 John 5, 18 when he says, whoever is born of God does not sin. The fathers understand that. But the children do not understand that. that is a, in, in, in chapter 2, he still he says, I write you, my little children, that you do not sin. But if you sin, my, little, my children, you get it? The little children can still sin. Then he's telling them there's an advocate. You get it? That's not what he's writing to the fathers. Now, <laughs> now, when he says, if we confess our sins, that word confess there, is the word homologio, which means to acknowledge. He's not talking about if you come, if you confess your sin. So we've been taught in church that confessing your sin means you come and say, oh, Father, please, 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 I did it again, I did it again, I did it again, please, please. You're not confessing. Confessing means to acknowledge. Actually, when he says hold on to your confession, it means say the same things. Praise the Lord. So if you acknowledge, you acknowledge that, you acknowledge this sin, you acknowledge, in other words, you, 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 you don't act like it is not sin. Then there is forgiveness. But you see now when we read here, we are like, okay, he will cleanse us. So he's not yet cleansed us. Yeah? So he's not yet forgiven us. That is what we think. But I'm telling you, this is depending on the level that he's talking, the level that he's talking to. So when does he forgive us? When is he going to forgive us? So many times you come and pray, not sure if I will be forgiven or not. We come and pray wondering, will I be forgiven or not? When does he heal us? When does he make us righteous? He already did all these things. That is why you're going to realize, we are going to read some few more scriptures, but you're going to realize that he talks about preaching of forgiveness. Receiving forgiveness. Why do you receive it? Because it is already there. He already forgave. When this is settled, there is no day you will feel inferior. That is why he says that in that day we shall have confidence. Why? Because as he is, so are we. In other words, there is nothing standing between us. There is nothing that makes me less qualified to have such a heart-to-heart conversation with him. To talk with him. The sin issue has kept many Christians defeated. Not walking in eternal life. And you see when he's talking about not sinning, he's talking to the fathers. Yeah? Acts 13, 38. Yeah, let's read Acts 13, 38. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, which man? Jesus. Is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. He's preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. He's not saying he's preached unto you the asking for forgiveness. He's preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. Go to verse 39. 
And by him, all that believe are justified, acquitted. All that believe from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Why? It was a glory that fades away. The law of Moses meant legalities, rituals, which we do even up to today. Today we still believe that by going to church many times and saying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, that is how we receive forgiveness. He's saying that kind, we can't be justified. Now you see, many times you'll hear me come back and talk about sin, redemption, and what, because it is very key. This is the pivot of the gospel. And almost everything, whether we talk about healing, whatever we talk about, I'll come here. Talk about justification, because justification is so important. You were acquitted. You didn't do it. That is what he's saying. That by him all that believe are justified from all things, from all things, all that believe, all that believe. As long as you believe, you're justified. Hallelujah. This is what Paul was preaching. Forgiveness of sin is what Paul was preaching. Now, let's read uh, Acts 5.31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. To give. If it can be given, it's already there. To give forgiveness. Jesus was raised to give forgiveness. Praise the Lord. Now the word forgiveness, the Greek word for forgiveness is aphasia. That is the Greek word for forgiveness. And that word for forgiveness means liberty, freedom. That is what that means. Liberty, freedom, that is what it means. To, to give forgiveness. To give forgiveness. He came to give forgiveness. And that is why when somebody is receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as you're leading them, tell them, if you want them to confess, let them confess properly. Let them say, today, I receive forgiveness. Because it is already there. Forgiveness was already paid for. It is already there. And forgiveness is not just being pardoned. That word means freedom. It means liberty. Liberty from what? Liberty from sin. Liberty from sin does not just mean from the effects of sin or bondage of sin. It means freedom from sin. And you see now, many Christians will say, it is impossible for somebody to live a sin-free life. It is possible. If you receive forgiveness, you know why we keep struggling and keep going back to sin? It is because we've never fully received forgiveness. God is more interested in you receiving forgiveness as freedom and liberty than you just being pardoned today. Okay, I forgive you, you go. Because tomorrow you're going to come with the same request. And that is what he's talking to these little children. Little children, if we confess, if you sin, you have an advocate. So when is that advocate, when is it going to become legal for that advocate to stand for you? When is it going to become legal? Because see, whatever the advocate is going to use has to be something that is already established in the law. That means if there's that advocate, forgiveness was already there. It is what he's going to claim. Praise the Lord. But you see, when he comes to now the young children, he says, you have overcome the devil. That means they received forgiveness. They received liberty. They, because sin comes from the devil. He says, Jesus was manifested for this reason, that he might destroy the works of the devil, including sin. There was no sin before the devil brought it. And if we say that when we were born again, 
we were restored, actually taken to a better place than Adam was, it is possible to live free from sin. And that is why when you preach forgiveness, when you help people understand that we don't need to beg for forgiveness, we don't need to ask for forgiveness every day, we need to appropriate forgiveness that was already given. The same thing we do for healing, that we know, thank you, Lord, that by your stripes I was healed. I receive my healing right now. Sickness come out of my body because it is already there. When Jesus went on the cross and died, he was raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, he went to the right hand of the Father. And when he went to the right hand of the Father, he didn't stay standing. He sat, meaning work done. Nothing more to do. Everything that he had come to do was done. Everything that he had come to do, he finished. That is why on the cross he said, it is finished. What was finished? All that he had come to do. All that he had come to do. He purchased liberty for us. And you see, many people will say, you see, when you preach that, when you tell people that to receive forgiveness, you don't need to beg for forgiveness. Forgiveness is there. You don't need to, to, to come every day uh, saying your sin. You don't need to. They say, you see, that will encourage people to continue in sin. No, it is a lie. When somebody receives forgiveness, it is a liberty. Paul, who is talking about preaching preaching forgiveness. Paul himself one time says he has not sinned. And he says, even my conscience bears me witness. He was not just talking about his spirit man. He talks about his conscience, the soul. Bears me witness. I've not sinned. I've not wronged any man. This is a very big term to say today. But you see, as you grow, you realize that there is that place. There is that place. It is there for us. Hallelujah. Jesus came and dealt with the sin issue. He conquered him, made a public spectacle of him, walked him on the streets, embarrassed him. That word forgiveness means freedom. It means deliverance. When you say somebody has been delivered, it means they are free. So if you've been forgiven, if you've received forgiveness, then you've received deliverance. From what? From sin. So you can be set free from sin. Sin is not a, it should not be an issue anymore. Praise Jesus. Because look at Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? He has. It is past tense. Many, if you get to know this, you take it. This is what he's, this is, this is what he's saying in Ephesians 1.3. That is what he's saying. And he's saying he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings, including forgiveness. That is what he's saying in 2 Peter 1.3. That is given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then he's saying... He has delivered us from the power of darkness. So why is it that many times we struggle under the power of darkness? It is, that is the same reason John is writing to the children and telling them, I'm writing to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Because they are not walking in eternal life. If you're walking in it, you're not under the power of darkness anymore. You're not under the power of darkness anymore. The devil is under you. The devil is under your dominion. And that's why I was telling us that the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom are two different things. And that is why he says, until this gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of salvation, is preached to the entire world, to all nations, as a witness. In other words, nations, Gentiles, people shall see people who live eternal life. People shall see the gospel of the kingdom and be amazed. They such a life. They are such people. Then the end shall come. That shall be the last sign. Because you see, the gospel of salvation has come. We all sing, Now the gospel of the kingdom 
is going to take him beyond Moyoni. Praise the Lord. Now the gospel of the kingdom is what the nations are going to see. That, okay, there are people who can live in freedom from sin. There are people who can live in freedom from sickness. There are people who can live in freedom from poverty. There are people who can live in freedom from guilt. There are people who can live in freedom from depression. There are people who are not shaken. You see, we, you see, we, we, we are talking and we are saying that. We, we were singing, I mean. And we are saying that I'll build my life upon your word. It is a firm foundation. I will trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. It is so amazing that when you claim these things, you're stoned by Christians who sing them. You see, when you say nothing shakes me, Christians are the first to come out of their caves and attack you. You post that on Facebook and say nothing shakes me. Christians who have never posted anything about Christ, that day will come. What are you saying? But in church, they come and sing. I will not be shaken. They, they, they will sing all those songs. It is possible for you never to be shaken. Amen. This is eternal life. Peter slept in prison after James had just been beheaded. He slept. Not shaken. Not shaken. Sleeping. With some building on the word. I'm building on the word. I'm building on the word. But we are not building on the word. We're just putting the word at the door. How could Peter sleep? When James has just been beheaded, that is eternal life. Peter was not scared of being beheaded. He could still sleep. I think maybe he had even made plans. Today I'm just going to be with my maker forever. Praise the Lord. This is something that we should understand in our walk of eternal life. The experience that he has for us. He has taken us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You see, Many of us have got born again and we, we are getting, what, what are we getting? What should I say? We are getting delivered from generational curses. We are getting delivered from things of the past. We are getting delivered from, let me tell you the truth. As a Christian or a pastor, if I have very little to do, helping you get rid of things from the past can keep me occupied and be a busy pastor and relevant. But there is a gospel that I can preach that can translate you in that instant. No, no, no. Whoever is being set free slowly, there's nothing wrong with you being set free step by step. There's nothing wrong. You get it? But I prefer one step. No, look at the man who was in the tombs, scratching himself with stones, breaking chains. That man, Jesus, comes in, he sets him free just like that. The man falls on his feet and Jesus sets him free. And the man wants to follow Jesus. Jesus tells him, no, you're now an evangelist. Go do crusades in your village. Like that. No healing of the soul. No practical word. Let's see where you came from. The most possessed person we study about in the Bible. No, that's how he set them free. Which other people? Mary Magdalene, prostitute, full of spirits. How many times did she go through deliverance? No, 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 look at all these people. I'm not saying it does not work, but I've told you they are truer truths. And this word is sufficient. You can take it for yourself. You can, and you see, now you see, the good thing is that whatever I'm talking about, I've gone through. So you know you may say, oh, it's because he's not gone through. I've gone through. First of all, I was a very problematic child growing up. My parents can agree. So I was taken to pastors. I was, I was sat, prayed for. There is this time the teacher did this. What did you feel? And you see, if the Holy Spirit leads you, I've also prayed for people that way. 
There are people who prayed for that when, yeah, God shows me there's this, this, you need to deal with it. You need to do forgiveness there and what. And you see many times why I, the Holy Spirit has led me there. It's because these people didn't take the word and receive freedom. So they are being helped. But I've never made it a religion that I'll come and say everyone needs to go through that. Everyone needs to break those generational curses and what. We were translate. What does translation mean? Translation, forget about Bible translations. Translation is not going by a plane. Translation is you are here, the next moment you're here. You can't narrate how your trip was. Because there was no trip. There was no trip. You were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That is where he took us. You are in the kingdom of his dear son. No power of darkness over you. And that is why he tells us to hold on to the confession of our faith. To hold on to the profession of our faith. He says, hold firm. He tells Timothy, in 1 Timothy, it's 1 Timothy what? 5.12, 6.12. He tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? It is here. It is to believe. It is to confess what God says about you. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. What is eternal life? Lay hold of it. In other words, it's already there. You are translated. So you are translated. Now you've come to church, you are telling you, oh, you may not be free, you may not. And you, you, you lose, you don't fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. When just come you see, I now don't have school fees. Even my dad, when he was in second year, that's when he dropped out of university. I think it is... Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Maintain your confession. Maintain your profession. He has translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. No matter, you see, to fight the good fight of faith means things may look like they looked in the past life. Things may look like generational curses. Things may look like the devil is winning. Fight to believe what God has already done. Fight to believe that. Fight to believe what God has already done. No, you people who are in the medical world, that's what you do. You fight to believe that the medicine is working. Somebody comes and tells you, I took the pills for the last three days, but the headache is still there. But did you take them properly? Was it eight hourly? Yes, it will go. The, the, the doctor is not going to depend on the symptom to say that you're not getting healed. His basis is going to be how you've administered the medication. When my wife got, when she was fractured the other year, you see, we come out of hospital and the doctor is like, in this time you will be walking. We go to the hospital for the first dressing and what, and the leg is a bit swollen, do we need to do an x-ray? No, 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 we don't need to do an x-ray. Because he knows that the procedure he did was right. So to him it was just okay. We don't need an x-ray, we don't need this. To him the procedure he had done was enough. He didn't need to keep supervising that bone. The procedure that was done on the cross was enough. It was enough. You may not be seeing it, praise the Lord. But if you hold fast to that, if you fight the good fight of faith, you will be so amazed to see that results will change. Your attitude about yourself will change. Come away from pity, from self-pity. Come away from those things. But you see, the sin issue, this issue of the past is one of the things that the devil uses to keep Christians down. You say, I would be having a good marriage, but you don't know I was abused. You say, I was having, it is so sad. It is so sorry. And I empathize. But there is freedom. You don't need to keep there. You need to come to him and hear how he calls you. He calls you forgiven. He calls you redeemed. He calls you righteous. That is why 2 Corinthians 5.21, 5, 
I mean 5.17. He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He doesn't say he's becoming a new creature. He doesn't say he's going to become a new creature. Why? Because we've been translated. We've been translated. The moment we believed, the moment he came, we moved into another kingdom. And that is, I think, he was writing to these people, John. Maybe some of them were still acting like they had never received the eternal life. They were still wondering, can we ever be free from sin? Can we totally be free from sin? And it's like, I'm writing to you to know that you have eternal life. You have a life that is above. You have a life that is above. There is nothing wrong with being set free gradually. But there is something so beautiful about knowing what is yours and taking it. There is something so amazing about that. There is nothing wrong with you paying a mortgage. But there is something so beautiful about you buying your house cash. You will all have houses at the end. At the end, whether it was through a mortgage or what, you will have a house. But every day you monitored your accounts. Every day you made sure that account, oh, let that check not bounce. You get what I'm saying? Man, we have eternal life. Sin was dealt with. You were justified. You were justified. If you believed him as your Lord and Savior, you were justified. Come to him to be loved. Come to him to talk with him. Come to experience him. Stop fearing. Stop thinking that he's going to treat you like your daddy treated you. Stop thinking that he's going to treat you like your boyfriend treated you. Stop thinking that he's going to treat you like your teacher treated you. He's so different. He's been misrepresented, even by preachers. But he's so different. Eternal life is real. He wants to make his home with you. He wants to sit with you. He wants to talk to you every day. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to experience his love. He wants you to experience the reality of who he is. And when you experience that, when you realize that sin is a thing of the past, you're going to reign. Before you realize that sin is a thing of the past, you're going to struggle to understand healing. You're going to struggle to understand prosperity. You're going to understand to, 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 uh, to, you're going to struggle to understand peace, just peace. You're going to struggle to understand that you can have peace every day, no matter what happens that you can have peace just because you are justified. You can have peace every day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And to just bow your heads.